0: If you have your Bible, let's turn to Colossians chapter one. When I was putting the message together, I was hoping that we can finish this chapter. But man, this this book is just full of wealth, full of just so much depth, so much to go over, so much to try to understand. We're gonna make it to verse 23. That's as far as I got. But it's going to be, it's just such an incredible passage of scripture. One of the greatest Christologies in the New Testament. And the title of my message is going to be Our Matchless Savior. We'll be starting in verses 14 and we'll be going through verses 23. If you were here last study... Not last week, the, the, the week before, if you were here, the last study when we began the book of Colossians, there was a very important question I asked Who do you say that Christ is? Jesus asked his disciples. Some say he was Isaiah. You know, some, some people today say that he's, he's, he was just some prophet. Who do you say Christ is? Who, do you, who is Jesus in your life? Because if you remember when we, uh, when we spoke about the heresy here that was threatening the church of Colossae, there was a heresy and it was threatening the supremacy of Christ. They were giving him a place, but they weren't giving him the place in their lives. So many churches give, give Christ a place, but they don't give him the, the place. The preeminent position that he is worthy of, that he deserves. And Paul's gonna tell us why. This heresy here in, in the church of Colossae, it denied Jesus as the son of God. It denied him. And, and, and the, church, uh, the, the pastor of this church, Epaphras, he went to go see Paul in prison. And he told them about what was going on. He, was, he told them about this heresy. And when Paul heard about this, he wrote the book of Colossians. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit to, to write this incredible book. Doing what? Magnifying Christ. Magnifying who Jesus is. I mentioned last study also that this book of Colossians, it, 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 it's called the magnifying glass of the New Testament. Because it magnifies who Christ is. It magnifies God as king of the universe. And here we're going to see, sorry, it's just, uh, just God's been so good. He's been so good. Everything he's been doing in this church, everything he's been doing in your guys' lives, in my life, it just It breaks my heart when people deny the supremacy of Christ. It breaks my heart when they don't give him the place that he rightfully deserves. It's been said that all the armies that have ever marched, all the navies that have ever sailed, all the kings that have ever reigned, put together, have not affected life on this planet as much as the life of Christ. And the most important question that we're ever going to be able to ask, that we're ever going to ask ourselves is, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? I know you, I know, you, a lot of you guys here have that answer, and I know a lot of you guys probably read this passage, but it, it, it's always a good reminder to remind us who Christ is and what he's done for us. Some say that he's just some, a good moral teacher, some ancient rabbi, the 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 heresies of who Christ is. It's endless. Some people, you know, they say he's some miracle worker. Um, the the um, Mormons say he's Michael the archangel. Um, the Jehovah Witnesses, excuse me, the Jehovah Witnesses say he's Michael the archangel. The Mormons say he's the the brother of Lucifer. The Muslims say he's he's like the Prophet Muhammad. And, and, and w- we need to really ask ourselves, who is Jesus Christ? The answer that was given back in ancient Colossae and in today's day and age gives Jesus a place. But it does not give him the place that he rightfully deserves. So Paul responds to this heresy, this, this, uh, this confusion, by exalting Christ in, in, in an unparalleled way. I like what uh, D.L. Moody, when when he was asked how he planned to speak against the cults, he would say, what I want to do is make Jesus so attractive that people will want to give everything to come to him. I want to make Jesus so attractive that people, We need to make Christ attractive in our lives by the way we live. We need to really, now more than ever, just reveal who Christ is through the way we live in our lives. And notice this is exactly what Paul does in these next few verses and throughout this whole book. In the verses we're going to go through, 15 verse, uh, verses 15 through 23, Paul literally goes vertical in exalting Christ. In exalting him, he exalts the the supremacy of Christ and who Christ is. So as we go through this passage, ask yourselves, who is Christ? Who is he to you? Notice in verses 15 through 18, we see Paul starts with his attributes, the attributes of Christ. And Paul gives us here seven reasons why Jesus is to have first place in everything first place in everything, seven reasons. First in verse 15, because he is the incarnation of God himself. Notice verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. Notice that word image. In the Greek, this word is defined as an exact representation an outward form that has a inner reality. It is a very substance or a central embodiment of something. You see, Jesus is not just a copy of God. He is not just someone who came to act like God. He is the very embodiment of God's nature, Jesus. He is the visible manifestation of the invisible god the visible manifestation of the invisible god he is not just some lesser emanation of god he is not some created being as as the jehovah witnesses say he is god of very god He is the image of the invisible God. Notice what J.B. Lightfoot quoted on on his commentary. He said, Beyond the very obvious notion of likeness, the word for image involves the idea of representation and manifestation. Therefore, Christ as the image of God is the very exact representation of God. He possesses all essential qualities of God, all essential qualities of deity. Jesus, in in his human form, he represented the essential characteristics of divinity. Therefore, in Christ, what do we see? We see the righteousness of God. In Christ, we're going to see the character of God. We're going to see the mighty love of God in Christ. We're going to see the purity of God. We see the power of God. We see the love. We see the the mercy, the grace, and we see the judgment of God in Christ. Hebrews 1, 2 through 3 tells us God has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir over all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, and notice the express image of his person. The express image of God. I like what Henry Gareppi quoted on, on about this verse. He said, The Christ notice this, the Christ who walked the dusty roads of Galilee, was the God who roamed through the path of the galaxy. The Christ who lit the lakeside fire on which to cook breakfast for his tired, hungry disciples, had lit a billion stars and hung them across the midnight sky. The Christ who had who had who asked the outcast for a drink, had filled the water on in every river, every lake, and every ocean. Christ became God's self-disclosure. And in Jesus, God entered humanity. He, the eternal one, invaded time. Christ. Wow. And do yourselves a favor, guys. Don't limit your, your, your way of thinking on who Christ is. Don't limit yourselves, your thoughts, in, in, in understanding who Christ is. Be open to, to what the understanding that God, the Holy Spirit, wants to give you. Do not limit yourselves. A lot of times, yeah, we, we tend to question um, things in the Bible. Just receive it. Don't limit your understanding. Allow God to give you a greater v- revelation, a greater understanding on who Christ is. We've barely scratched the surface. Allow him to open up greater thoughts. Greater thoughts so that flame, we need that fire, and that is only going to come from a greater revelation of who God is, that fire just begins to burn. I love how our pastor, Pastor Rawl talks about the fire in his heart, but he spends hours and every single day in the word and, and seeking Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God every single day for that fire to burn bright because the minute that you stop seeking Christ, the minute that you let go and, and you you decide, you, you know, you, you choose movie night over the word, the minute you do that, the fire begins to dim, and the enemy comes in instantly to attack. Allow God to open up that greater understanding of who Christ is, because his greatest desire is for you to know him at a deeper level. That is his desire. He wants to reveal more to you. He wants you to have greater understanding on who He is and what He's done. And I pray that the Lord turn, sometimes it's like we're looking in a mirror. I pray that He turns those mirrors into windows and and so we can see more of His revelation, more of the revelation of God in Christ. We need to see His will for our lives. All this depth and revelation, all this passion that I, I that I'm, I'm giving—we haven't even finished the first verse. After this study, we would ha- we're, we would barely have scratched the surface on who Christ is. For the sake of time, I'm going to move on. There's so much that I want to say, but. We're limited to time. So the second reason is he is the ruler over all creation. The end of verse verse 15, the firstborn over all creation. The ruler over all creation. Notice the word firstborn here. Paul here is not talking about first to be born in time or creation. That's not what he's saying. So many get this confused uh, uh, uh the firstborn they 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 get it confused and therefore we hear a lot of false doctrine about this verse for example the jehovah witnesses i'm picking on them a lot today because they tend to pick on us and they try to knock on our door and and bother us you know like it, it, show them this verse they say that jesus was not god but they were, that he was created by god Because it says firstborn, so they're thinking that he was created. They say that he was Michael the archangel who was a created being. However, where the Jehovah Witnesses, their doctrines fail because they fail to read the whole scripture. They fail to sometimes just keep reading. They stop at at this little scripture. They say the firstborn over, over, over all creation. Okay, cool, so then Jesus is a created being, therefore he's not God. They say Jesus could not have been created, but yet in the next verse we see the phrase, He created all things. So, how can the one who created everything have been created? Notice Paul here is talking about firstborn, not in time, not in creation, but in rank. And honor as a ruler or an inheritor, because notice the Greek word that Paul used here for firstborn is prototokos, meaning first in preeminence. Prototokos. He didn't use the word prototistos, uh, which meant first created. And it, it's funny, like uh, why we go into the Greek sometimes to uh, to define these words because we are limited in the English vocabulary. The English vocabulary is limited to about 70,000 words, but the Greek vocabulary is limited to 120,000 words. For example, there are five words for one word, love in the English vocabulary. This is why I like to give these definitions because it opens up the scripture to greater understanding and that is my desire, is that Christ gives us greater understanding. This is why I'm taking my time going through these scriptures because I, there's so much depth, there's so much to learn, there's so much uh, for God to show us. So notice uh, he, didn't use pro, uh, he didn't use productistos, he used product, uh, tokos meaning First in preeminence. He is the first in rank and honor. The first as our ruler and our inheritor. He is the first in preeminence. Christ. The first. The third reason is because he is the creator of all things. Where so many doctrines fail. The creator of all things. Verse 16. For by him... All things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Show that to the Jehovah Witnesses, to the Mormons. Whoever does not give Christ his rightful place as God, show them that scripture. This is where the doctrine stating that Jesus was created or that he is anything less than God is abolished in this very scripture. By him, all things were created. Notice things that are in heaven. Think of the massive, the infinite size of the universe. The vast numbers of stars. Astrologists have not even began to scratch the surface it, it, they they're constantly changing their numbers on how big the universe is that they've come to the mm-hmm. the supposedly to the realization that the universe continues to grow it is in it, it, it to us to our finite minds the, the universe is infinite but what does the bible say about the creation of the heavens notice this verse I'm going to add Christ, I'm going to add Jesus to them to help us visualize it. And when you read through the Old Testament, sometimes you just need to replace a few words and add Jesus. Like, for example, Proverbs, it's the book of wisdom. Replace wisdom with Jesus. Just add Jesus in, in, in the Old Testament and you'll see Jesus. Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens. Jesus created the heavens. In Psalms 34.6, by the word of Jesus, the heavens were made and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. Isaiah 40.12, Jesus measured the heavens with the span of his hand. Jesus measured the heavens, I love this one, with the span of his hand. This is what a span of a hand is. This is my hand. Jesus measured the heavens with his hand at the span of his hand. (laughs) Isaiah 40, 26, lift up your eyes on high and see Jesus who has created these things. Psalms 147, 4 through 5, Jesus counts the number of stars. Jesus calls them by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. We all know John chapter 1, one uh, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was what? The Word? Yes, in the beginning was Jesus. Jesus is the Word and Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him. Nothing was made that was made. By Jesus, all things were created. Notice the things that are on the earth, visible and invisible. Think of everything you see on this earth. Everything you see, everything, everything that's visible. What does the Bible say about the creation of the world? Again, add Jesus. Again, in Genesis 1, 1 through 2, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of Jesus was hovering over the face of the waters. Proverbs 34, notice, he says, Who has ascended into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And notice, What is his son's name if you know? Jesus. By all things, Jesus, all things were created through him. Notice all things were created, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. There's also a reason why Paul mentions thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers, which are angelic beings. Psalms 148, 2, and 5 it says, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of Jesus, for he commanded and they were created. You see, Jesus isn't just one of the angels. He created them and now he, and he rules over them. Do we see the, the point that I'm trying to make? Is that he, is a, he he created everything, so th- he's not just some part of creation, and therefore this th- again this is going to dismantle this whole Colossian th- uh, heresy about angelology and and what they were talking about, the uh, angel worship, also calling Christ uh, uh, saying that he was created and that that he was an uh, angelic being. This demolishes that. Because he created the angels. Fourth reason, he is the eternal existing one. Notice verse 17, and he is before all things. Jesus is the eternal God with no beginning and no end. No beginning and no end. Micah 5.2, notice the prophecy of Jesus. It says, but you Bethlehem, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from everlasting. In Isaiah 9, 6, another prophecy of Jesus says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice what they call, uh, uh, what uh, Isaiah called him, everlasting Father. And Jesus is called, he's called everlasting Father, not because he is the Father. It is because he is the exact perfect image. He is the everlasting Father. And these verses here they magnify Christ as the eternal one. Everlasting Father, uh, the, the point here is that he holds e- eternity in his possession. Everlasting Father, he has time. He is above time. Time does not affect him. And notice to think of Christ as never having a beginning and never having an end, it it, it staggers the mind. It, it, there's, when we try to think of because we had a beginning. When you try to think of so many reasons why like, the, uh, uh, people choose not to believe in Christ because he didn't have a beginning. And all these, these um, uh, evolutionists, they, 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 they always ask the question, who created God? It, it's a staggering thing to think about, but because we're not programmed to think like an eternal mind since we are created beings our understanding it's always going to be finite we're always we're not going to have that understanding so we just leave it as it is that christ never had a beginning and he will never have an end and guess what since he never has an end and he will live for eternity guess who's also going to live for eternity i am thankful that my god is eternal because that makes me eternal That makes you guys eternal as Christians, as children of God. When you are in Christ, you never have an end. Our job is just to believe. We are just to have faith. Believe that our God is not affected by the things that we are affected by, which is is time, space, or matter. He's not affected by it. He created it. If if God was affected by time, space, or matter, I'm sorry, he would not be God. He would not be, if we could fit God in our three-pound brain, he would not be worth worshiping. This is why Paul gives us some crazy revelation of Christ, and it boggles the mind because that just glorifies Christ. The fact that we can't understand, praise God, because that's the God I want to worship. That is a God who is worthy to be worshipped. Jesus always was. He had no beginning. He always will be, He has no end. Psalms 90 verse 2 it says, "Before the mountains were brought forth, or even you had formed excuse me, before the mountains were bro- brought forth, or even you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting you." Jesus our God. So when you're asked who is Christ, who is Jesus, not only is he Lord of the past and the present, but he's also the possessor of eternity. He, he possesses eternity in his hands. Jesus holds the past and he holds the future in his, in his hands. This speaks of his omnipresence, one of his attributes, Because here's the timeline, and Christ is above that. He created this timeline, so Christ is as much here as he is here, his omnipresence. He is above time. A lot of times we, we, we begin to worry because we don't know what the future holds for us. A lot of times we have anxiety because we don't know what's to come. We don't know what the future holds for us, but guess what? We know who holds the future, right? We know who holds the future, and that is Christ. So why do we worry sometimes? Why is it that, 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 that we become anxious of what's to come? Christ holds the future. The fifth reason, notice, because he is the sustainer of the universe. The end of verse 17, it says, In him all things consist. Notice that word consist. It literally means to hold together. To hold together. In Hebrews 1.3, it tells us he upholds all things by the word of his power. By the word of his power. Notice God created all things. Yes, he created all things. But there's also another important part that is needed in creation. He created it. Creation in itself, it's not self sustaining. It's not scientists may say it is but creation in itself is not self-sustained as important as there is for there to be a creator it is just as important for there to be a sustainer there has to be someone holding it together and jesus as the preserver is as necessary for the continuance of all things as jesus the creator was to their original production he, Jesus isn't just the creator, he is also the sustainer, the preserver of all creation. He literally holds everything together from flying apart. Consider the nucleus of an atom. The nucleus of the atom. There is this dilemma with, with physicists, I can't even say the word, uh, to this very day. There's this dilemma between these super smart people. There's this dilemma. The, the, the question it has not been answered is what holds the nucleus together? What holds it together? What keeps the nucleus of an atom from flying apart? Consider that. You know what they say? They say it's a stronger nuclear force. They, they try every way to leave Christ out of it. Just say Christ... Christ holds it together. But no, they say it's a stronger nuclear force, a greater nuclear force. That's what they say, that is their excuse. But Colossians 1, tells us Jesus holds it together. Jesus holds all things together. Con- th- th- think, think of what Jesus holding together this very moment, that seat you're sitting on. I- if Jesus were to let go, you'd fall this building do you think you think the nails the the stubs whatever things they glue whatever it is you think that's holding this building together no it's so it's so simple It's christ he he has the power to hold together this whole universe he has the power to hold it all together keeping it from flying apart however w- what does the bible say one day what will happen he's going to let go. One day, Jesus will let go, and the universe is going to fly apart. Second Peter 3, 10 through 11, notice, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and and the works that are in it will be burned. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to, to what manner of person are ought you to uh, be holy conduct and godliness? I totally butchered that, but that's okay. Sixth reason: He is the head of the church. In verse eighteen, it says, "He is the head of the body, the church." And notice, as the head controls the, the body, uh, it, it controls everything that happens in the body, so Jesus controls everything that happens in the church. Is the church a building? No, the church is us. He controls that everything everything that happens within his people, within the church. He, he is the head of the church. Remember in Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, he says, and he put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills, un, uh, who fills in all. And, and Christ is the head of the church. He controls everything that happens in the church. He controls everything just as the head controls the body. We've seen so far that Jesus is worthy to have first place in everything because why? He is the incarnation of God himself. He is the ruler over all creation. He is the creator of all things. He is the eternal existing one, and he is the sustainer of the universe. He is the head of the church. And finally, we see the seventh reason, because he conquered the grave end of verse 18, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Notice the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Paul is telling us here that Jesus was the first to rise from the dead in a glorified body the first to rise from the dead, the first to have a glorified body. Jesus conquered death, and he made a way for us to do so as well. He conquered the grave, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, it tells us, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Hebrews 2.14, it says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, and that is the devil. Through his resurrection, Christ defeated Satan. He defeated death. And notice Revelations 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. He has the keys to death. He has conquered death, and that in all things, this is why in all things, he must have preeminence in our lives. I like the way the NIV translates it. It says, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. Uh, And then the NASB translates it as that he himself will come to have first place in everything. In everything. Notice next in verses 19 through 23, Paul talks about his actions. We're going to see his actions here. First, we see a revelation. Christ shows us, he showed us what God is like. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. Notice the same, we see the same thing in chapter 2. We skip ahead a little bit in verse 9. It says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead Bodily, what does this mean? Notice the word "fullness" in this. In in the ancient Greek, was translated as really just another way to say that that Jesus is truly God. And you see, the the Gnostics at the time would distribute divine powers among various aeons or other gods or other angelic be- beings. They would they would transfer. They would talk about specific aeons are specific gods having specific power so paul here uses the word fullness to gather up all the divine power for who all the divine power in christ as the one true god so he uses the word fullness therefore jesus being fully god inseparable from the father and the holy spirit took on our humanity and in his human form Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in his human form. Dwells all the fullness of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in every one of his actions, reveals to us what God is like. This is who Christ is. He reveals to us how, who, who God is. Uh, notice in John 1, verse 18, it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, ha- He has declared Him. In John 12, 45, Jesus said, He who sees me sees Him who sent me. Jesus also said in John fourteen nine, Have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. Do you want to know who God is? Do you want to know who the Father is? It's simple. Read about the life of Christ. Read every single decision, every single word, every single action that Christ took, and you're going to know exactly who God is because He is the exact representation of God. You want to know who God is? Read through the the, the Gospels and and see the life of Christ and how he lived. And guess what? He lived in humility. He, He was humble. The creator of the universe, the creator of all things, came as a servant, as a bondservant. That is who God is blind barnameas he 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 would cry out son of david have mercy on me son of david have mercy on me and his disciple would say stop yelling stop doing that it is not a time to look weak it is a it is a time to be strong because the messiah is here yet jesus said he went up to the the blind man and what did he say he said What would you like me to do for you? Jesus became the servant of a blind man. What would you like me to do for you? That is who our God is. We were blind. We were all blind. We were all lost. We were all condemned. Yet Christ, who is God, He came down, he took on the form of a servant, the form of a a man, and he went to the cross. He went to the cross. Second, we see reconciliation. Jesus restored us back to a relationship with God. Verse 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of Christ. Notice that word reconcile. In the the Greek, it means to restore to a favorable relationship, to restore to a favorable relationship? Why is it that our relationship with God have to be restored? Why? Because of our sin, we became enemies of God. Because of our sin, we became separated from Him. His holiness. God is holy. The holiness of God speaks of his separation of mankind because we are sinful we were enemies of god because we we chose to sin because we chose to reject him we became his enemy jeremiah 50 31 it tells us see i am your enemy you arrogant people says the lord the lord of heaven's armies your day of reckoning has arrived and the day when I will punish you. Psalms 5, 4 through 6, For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. You see, God hates sin, therefore he hates the worker of iniquity. Think about that. He hates the worker of iniquity, making them enemies of God, making us enemies of God, because we were what? We were all workers of iniquity at one time. However, because of Christ, notice Romans 5, 8 through 10, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that we in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him for notice if when we were enemies we were reconciled we were restored to favorable relationship to God through the death of his son much more Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. The wonder of reconciliation. Notice, who was reconciled? God's enemies were reconciled. Who were God's enemies? We were. And what happened to God's enemies? They were restored to a favorable relationship. I remember i I was talking to pastor david some of you know him and he asked me this question he asked me what happens if someone stumbles in the ministry what happens if someone um, backslides in the ministry what do you do my response was oh get rid of him get rid of him he's like no he said we look to restore did Christ get rid of us when we were his enemies? No, he did not. He looked to restore us. Instead of crumpling away what happened, instead of you know destroying everything he created and starting over, no, he gave his life. He went to the cross and he did it with joy. How did we get restored? By the blood of Christ. It is only by the blood of Christ. It is only through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through Him. No one knows the Father except through Christ. He is the exact representation of the Father. You see... God treated Jesus, his only son, he treated him as an enemy for you guys, as an enemy for us. He took our place on the cross and he was treated like an enemy. He did this so that he would be able to treat us as his friends. He did it so that he would be able to treat us as his children because he loved us. He desired to restore us. He didn't desire to push us away, even though holiness speaks of separation. Jesus, because of his sacrifice, is able to call us friend. He is able to call us brother because of his sacrifice. In James 2, verse 23, it says, And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He was called the friend of God. You see, all we need to do is believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, give him the first place in everything, and we will become friends of God. Why? Because he is our righteousness. Verse 21, notice again reconciliation. It says, And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. We were once alienated. This word alienated means to be transferred to another owner. We were transferred to another owner. Who was that owner when we sinned? Satan became our owner. It went from God to Satan when Adam and Eve sinned. The ownership, our ownership, we became, uh, we, we were owned by Satan. Therefore, since we are all born of the seed of Adam, we are all born alienated from God. However, Paul says we were once alienated. He doesn't say although we are still alienated. He says we were once alienated, meaning because we are in Christ, we are no longer alienated from him. He has reconciled and knows there is much more than just forgiveness to a believer there is when you become a christian it is a complete change of status there is much more than forgiveness it is a complete transformation that is what it means to be a christian a complete transformation we were once alienated and enemies yet now he has reconciled us Notice again, God responds to our alienation. His response is reconciliation, initiated by the work he did on the cross. That was his response to our alienation. He, he reconciled us. His response was reconciliation to bring us back. And guess what? Who are, what is our citizenship now? We are citizens of his eternal kingdom we are now citizens of heaven we are no longer aliens we are no longer alienated from it we have become citizens of his eternal kingdom and i i, I want i want us to understand something I'm running out of time god didn't just meet us halfway he didn't just Tell us, meet me. I'm going to meet you here and you go the rest. It's not like your first kiss. We'll meet halfway. No. God didn't just meet us halfway, He met us all the way. He met us all the way. Jesus on the cross said what? He said, It is finished. What was finished? The complete restoration to a favorable relationship with God. That is what was finished on the cross when he says, it is finished. Father, they have been restored to you. They are no longer aliens. They have been restored to you. It is finished. He restored us to a favorable relationship with God. Notice verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death notice why paul says this is he says this because of false teaching in Colossae, they would they would they would say that matter was was evil they um they could any type of matter they they would they would consider it evil so this is why paul said in the body of his flesh through death because our body is matter jesus couldn't have had a jesus um couldn't have had a body as god that's what they were saying but if jesus didn't have a body then what he could not have died in our place because who died on the cross he was a hundred percent god he was a hundred percent man did god die no his humanity died his humanity is what died and in order for for there to be death there has to be a body and we know that throughout all the scripture, Jesus who was God came in human form as, it, as scripture tells us. Jesus, did he, he did die in our place as, as 100% God and 100% man because he had a body. That's why Paul here is saying, in the body of his flesh through death, therefore having the power to reconcile us as God. He had the power to reconcile us through the body of his flesh through death. And remember in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but h- made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of God. Of the cross. I always ask myself, is why did Jesus do this for us? Why did he die for us? Why did he go through all this? Notice in the end of verse 22, it says, To present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. The doctrine of reconciliation. These are the results of God's work of reconciliation. Notice, to be holy, to be blameless, and to be above reproach. Let me ask you, who does the Bible say our accuser is? Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. However, notice these words taken together. They show that in Jesus... We are truly pure in Christ. We have this purity now. We are holy. We are blameless. And we are above, repro- uh, above reproach. And therefore we couldn't even come close to being justly accused of any impurity from Satan. He is constantly accusing us He is constantly going to God and accusing us of our wrong, but we are what? We are holy, we are blameless, and we are above reproach. And I'm going to leave you guys with this thought. Our desire to be saved, our desire to know Christ should come from a desire to be made holy It should come from a desire to be blameless, and it should come from a desire to be above reproach. Our desire to be saved should come from the desire to do that. It's it's not merely a desire to escape hell. It's not merely a a desire that that you come to Christ because of fear of hell although the fear of hell is important, but our desire should always be holiness in our lives. That is, that is why we come to Christ, because we need holiness. We need to be blameless before Christ. When we are judged at the Bema seat of Christ, our name, because we are blameless, will be found written in the book of life. In closing verse 23 it says if indeed you continue in the faith grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I Paul became a minister notice those who are truly reconciled must truly persevere if we are reconciled in christ we must persevere and our main focus every day should be to continue what in the truth of the gospel that should be our focus don't move away from the truth we must move towards the truth that is the truth of the gospel don't go to any other gospels there are no other gospels All of these other doctrines are, the Bible calls them doctrines of demons. Stay true to the gospel. Stay true to Christ. Christ is all you need. Cling to him. Cling to him every day. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for who you are for everything you've done, Lord. We cannot thank you enough. And Lord, you are worthy of the preeminent place in our lives, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you have revealed more to us here now, Lord, and that you've, Lord, just given us that greater fire, that greater desire to worship you, Lord, to follow you, Lord, to do your will for your purpose, for your glory, Lord. Lord, our purpose is to bring you glory. Jesus, I just want to say I love you. And I thank you, Lord, for reconciling us, Lord, even though we were your enemy, you chose to bring us back into a favorable relationship with you. And I thank you. I thank you, my Lord. Lord, I ask that you just go before us now, that you bring us home safely, Lord, that you continue to do a mighty work in our lives, Jesus, so that you can do a mighty work through us. Lord, use us for your glory. Go before us now in power. We ask these things now in your precious name. Amen.